Welcome aboard the Sonic 7546 time machine. It is now time to explore with the Nomads of Time. If you haven't listened to our first episode, do listen to it first. Some content might be confusing without listening to our first episode. Greetings, fellow nomads, and welcome to the Nomads of Time. I'm your host, Jared, and this is my co-host, Zashin. We, the Nomads of Time, are travelers through time, and we give our audiences a brief and detailed summary of important events in history. Today, we are doing a deep dive on the happenings of the second year of World War I. So let's get started. From 1915, trenches dug into the ground have become the new hideouts for soldiers during battles. Where these battles are fought becomes known as the Western Front. Meanwhile, war spreads around the world faster than the speed of sound. It is also the new year of for new weapons to kill new targets including people in their homes. Hold on, isn't that meant to be a sponsor right after our intro? Uh, no. Not all the time. Oh, uh, okay then. Anyways, people at home can't retaliate, but they can take it out on foreigners living in their country, known as aliens. So in the east end of London, German shops were looted, and in one riot, German pianos were thrown from houses onto the road. Let's start off this episode with the timeline of 1915 before diving in deeper on the details of the war. 19th of January 1915 saw the first Zeppelin airship raids on Britain. Everybody and every living creature was in the war, like it or not. On the 2nd of February, the Germans threatened to cut off Britain's food supply by surrounding it with submarines. They said that the submarines would sink food supply ships and starve Britain to defeat. On the 18th of March, the British government asked women to sign up for war work. Amazingly, they did a better job compared to the men. Imagine that! I know, right? Moving on to the 22nd of April, a new weapon was used. Poisonous gas. It was first used against soldiers in the trenches. In May, the Allies tried to sneak around the German front by landing in Gallipoli, Turkey. Their plan was to defeat the Turks, whom they expected to be a pushover before proceeding to attack the Central Powers. On the 7th of May, the German submarines sank an American passenger ship called the Lusitania with 128 passengers on board. Thing is, the Americans weren't even involved in the war yet. Way to go, Germany. Biggest mistake ever. One month later, on the 7th of June, a Zeppelin was shot down over Flanders, northern France, being big, slow-moving bags of gas in the air. They made easy targets for the enemy. In July, the Turkish state used the war as an excuse to wipe out an entire race of people, the Armenians. 2,000 years worth of Armenian civilization, and more than a million people were obliterated due to this act of genocide by the Turks. This was a step on the road to the terrors of the Second World War. And in the next month, August, foods were getting short, especially in Germany. Prices in Texas went up to pay for the war 1 million British pounds a day in Britain was needed to pay for the fighting. And in September, at the Battle of the Loos in Flanders, some brave Brits dribbled a football towards enemy lines. The ball was found riddled with bullets, like the foolhardy footballers. On the 12th of October, nurse Edith Carvel was caught helping British prisoners escape to Belgium. She said, if I had to, I'd do it all over again. As a result, the Germans shoot her so she can't. 
Eleven days after the 1st of November, British Minister Winston Churchill was sacked because his Gallipoli idea was a disaster. Don't worry guys, the Brit saver will be back. For your information, the Gallipoli campaign lasted for about a year since it started. It cost the Allies 187,959 killed and wounded and the Turks 161,828. Gallipoli proved to be the Turks' greatest victory of the war. In London, the campaign's failure led to the demotion of Winston Churchill and contributed to the collapse of Prime Minister H.H. Asquith's government. The fighting at Gallipoli proved a galvanising national experience for Australia and New Zealand, which had not previously fought in a major conflict. When the 20th of December arrived, the Allies decided to retreat. It turned into a very bloody disaster. With the timeline done, it is now time to cover the major problems of the second year of World War I. It might seem that bombs, machine guns, and other weapons were the cause of fear, but no. In fact, many soldiers feared creepy crawlies and deadly diseases as well. Don't worry, I too am scared of dogs. For instance, at Gallipoli, the abnormally, the abnormally large mortality rate attracted flies of every size and species. A soldier of the Australia and New Zealand Army Corps, known as the Anzacs, wrote home about the flies. He said, Some of them must have had tin openers on their feet. They bite so hard. Another Brit soldier complained, In order to eat your food, you have to wave your hand over it, then bite suddenly. Otherwise, a fly came with it. Any bit of food uncovered was blotted out by sight. Blotted out of sight by flies in a couple of seconds. The flies probably had a picnic on a dead donkey or person a few minutes before, so naturally, it was no surprise that many troops suffered so much disease in Gallipoli. When there is a disease outbreak, we could always rely on doctors to give out the cure. However, back in Florence Nightingale's day, a wound could get easily infected if the bullet didn't kill you. The germs would finish its job. But, suffice to say, doctors were just a teeny bit clumsy. According to one soldier, an Anzac soldier, Private O'Connor, was wounded in the leg and captured. He was taken to Istanbul where an Armenian doctor operated to amputate O'Connor's leg. The doctor, however, sought halfway through the bone, got too tired, and snapped off the rest. Ouch! Imagine if surgeons in our time did that, huh? Of course, coupled with those deadly doctors is frightful first aid. Since there were no pharmacies nearby, soldiers had to look after each other. They all carried a first aid kit to war. Red soldiers even had a book, The Feud Element 1915, that gave some advice. Of course, one might expect a field element to have great advice. However, after listening to this one, you might change your opinion just a teeny little bit. For broken limbs, the book suggested this strange method. Gently put the broken limb straight after cutting off the clothes. Then fix it in this position by means of a splint made from a rifle, a roll of newspapers, bayonets, swords, or pieces of wood. Imagine using newspapers as a splint what type of newspaper would be up for the job, I wonder? Who knows? Maybe the Daily Telegraph poll. Uh, anyways, by 1918, severe shortages in Germany forced soldiers to use bandages made from crepe paper and tied on with thread. Moving on to another problem during the war, frostbite is a major drawback for soldiers. However, the cure might make the sufferer even worse than before. Carry the sufferer to a room or place without a fire. Remove clothes and rub hard with a cloth soaked in water or snow. And there you have it, the cure to frostbite. Sounds much better than rewarming the frostbitten parts of your body with warm water, doesn't it? You might think that curing frostbite was bad. 
However, preventing frostbite was worse. In the winter of 1914 to 1915, anti-frostbite grease was supplied in two pound tins to soldiers on the Western Front. It looked like lard and it contained mostly pork fat. After 1915, whale oil was issued in rum jars. This was little use because of the terrible smell. Army orders said that, before going out on patrol in cold or wet weather, each man was to be stripped and rubbed down with whale oil by an officer. Most men refused to strip, and most officers refused to rub. Terrible! If only they had thought of wearing extra layers and protecting their hands and feet, there would be less casualties then. Indeed. For corrosive poisoning cures, the few Alamang 1915 provided an interesting cure. Give scrapings from whitewashed walls or ceilings. Mixed with water. The author must love eating walls. Yum, I wonder what they taste like. But before we move on to the more gruesome cures and weird fake infections, it is time for our weekly quiz. Here's a quick question. What was the mortality rate at the Battle of Gop Gallipoli? Was it A, 188,000 killed or wounded allies? B, 206,000 killed or wounded allies? Or C, 156,000 killed or wounded allies? You have 7 seconds to answer. Well, if you had been paying attention to our podcast, there were about 188,000 killed and wounded allies. This was the result of the allies' retreat, a bloody massacre. Good job to those who got it right. Now let's move on to the solution to gas attack. As we all know, one of the first World War's dangers was gas attacks. Thus, Army Headquarters sent out an order. If you are caught in a gas attack, you must 1. Take out your handkerchief 2. Urinate into the material till it is soaked 3. Tie it round your nose and mouth and 4. Breathe through it. Sounds disgusting, right? However, there is a loophole. The element never stated what one should do in the event that nature did not call to them. Hmm. What do you think might have been a solution to this problem? Do jot down your answer and remember to send it to us via the email which will be provided later. Special prizes await the most creative answers. Fun fact, soldiers wishing to appear unwell and thus avoid duty would draw on cordite, an explosive taken from rifle bullets. This will ultimately increase body temperature, but effects would wear off shortly. Besides all these conditions, lice were also involved in the war. When an Australian soldier took off his socks after the Battle of Gallipoli, he saw a ghastly sight. He said, I swear, that's a, I swear that as I dropped my socks on the floor, I saw them start to move. They were seething mass of lice. In trenches, soldiers were often found chatting together as a peaceful way to pass quiet times. No, chatting wasn't talking. It meant getting rid of chats or lice from the seams of their tunics. German soldiers would take the lid from a boot polish tin and hold it over a candle with a piece of wire. When it started to sizzle, it simply dropped the lice onto the hot tin. The sizzling sound of lice was music to their ears. Here's and lice aside, it is now time to talk about super superstitions. When you are in danger, people start to believe in luck and thus invent superstitions to make it seem that luck was on their side. A few new beliefs sprang up during World War I. One of those beliefs was bulletproof Bibles. Pocket-sized copies of the New Testament were snatched up by anxious British mothers for their sons. There were stories of bullets being stopped by these little Bibles, although there were one or two true cases of spent rifle bullets being stopped by Bibles. Well, let's just say, good luck with machine guns and high explosive shells. Each side believed that they were in the right. That meant that God would be on their side. The Germans even went to war with a belt buckle that read, God mit uns, which meant God with us. 
One very popular belief was that either God had your name and number on the bullet, or he didn't. So you may as well charge that machine gun. After the war, one soldier said, I was most amazed by the bullets that missed me. However, the most dangerous belief was, prayers can turn bullets aside. For non-believers of God, for non-believers of God or luck, there was always common sense advice, just as a notice passed around the trenches. Don't worry. When you are a soldier, you can be in one of two places. A dangerous place or a safe place. If you are in a safe place, don't worry. If you are in a dangerous place, you can be one of two things. One is wounded and the other is not. If you are not wounded, don't worry. If you are wounded, it can be dangerous or slight. If it's slight, don't worry. If it's dangerous, then one of two things will happen. You'll die or you'll recover. If you recover, don't worry. If you die, you can't worry. In these circumstances, a soldier never worries. <laughs> hmm, maybe not much common sense. There was another belief amongst the soldiers, the third man. Basically, this belief was that lighting a match amongst three soldiers was a dangerous thing to do in the trenches where an enemy sniper might be watching. The theory was, first light will catch his eye, second light he'll fix his sights, and on the third light, he'll pull the trigger. Hey, that actually makes sense. Well, not much, but I believe it is still is better than it. Don't worry, peace. Animals were also counted as superstitions. Weird, right? Regiments used bulldogs and goats to represent toughness and fearlessness, respectively. But Bella and Bertha were an unusual choice for the Scots Guards. In late 1914, two cows were found near Epers, Flanders, by the regiment. They were the only survivors from a herd that had been hit by shellfire. The cows, soon named Bella and Bertha, became the battalion's mascots providing fresh milk for the men in the trenches. After the war, the cows were taken to Scotland for retirement. When the Scots guards marched through London on the victory parade, they were accompanied by Bella and Bertha. Perhaps one of the most interesting superstitions was that of that blasted statue. In the town of Albert, Flanders, there was a fine church with a golden statue of Virgin Mary on top. Early in 1915, the statue was toppled over, but it didn't fall. Instead, it hung there as the war dragged on. British defenders invented a strange superstition. When the statue falls, the war will end. If the statue fell, the British soldiers would be terribly discouraged. So the army set up strong cables to hold the Virgin Mary in her perilous place. For over three years, the Germans failed to knock her off her perch. And for three more years, the war went on. In 1918, the Germans finally captured the town and started using the top of the church tower as an observation post. From that high point, they could guide their shellfire towards the British. So it was the British who fired back and ended up demolishing the tower, bringing the Virgin Mary down to earth. The Germans were happy. And would you believe it? The war ended shortly after, but with the defeat of Germany. Funny fact, after the British knocked the statue down, it disappeared, probably sent to Germany to be melted down and turned into weapons. When the war finished, Albert and its church were rebuilt. An exact copy of the statue stands there now, but it was suggested that the statue should be put back in her famous wartime pose. Wait, really? Yeah. However, the people of Albert said no. Too bad. Or we would have a replica of the destruction of World War I. True, but the statue looks magnificent in its original state. Don't you agree? Now let's move on to some ghost stories. With so many people dying in the First World War, it's not surprising that ghosts were reported. In 1916, there was a great rise in spiritualists people who said they had the power to speak to the dead. 
There was one story that happened in 1914. It all started in August 1914, when British troops arrived in southern Belgium to try and stop the German invasion. This, result in a, this resulted in the slaughter of over 15,000 soldiers who died in the early attacks. Miraculously, some survived, and reports said this was thanks to a miracle. One soldier reportedly said, We saw our St. George leading a trio of phantom fighters on horseback. They drove the Germans back. Arthur Merson, a journalist, turned the rumors into a short story. His story, called The Bowman, said it was the English heroes of the 1415 Battle of Argencourt who had rescued those helpless soldiers. The battle was fought nearby. Merson's story was published in the London Evening News a few weeks after the Battle of Mons, and surprisingly, many Brits believed it. Some of the soldiers who returned from the battle then said it was true. Even when Merson admitted that his story was a work of fiction, there were still some people who went on believing in angels. There were some explanations for these weird stories. Some religious peoples have said the Phantom Army was made out of the spirits of the soldiers who had just died in the battle. Some doctors believed that the Allied soldiers had hallucinations, waking dreams, because they were stressed by fear, pain, and exhaustion. But weirdest of all, the German spy chief, Friedrich Herzenwitz, claimed that he had created the angels. He had allegedly sent out aeroplanes with cinema projectors, which projected images of angels onto the low clouds. He did this to encourage the German soldiers, who believed God was on their side. One of the most famous victims of the war was the poet Rupert Brooke. He'd written a poem about the glory of war. Rupert used to live in Grantchester Vicarage near Cambridge, and he wrote another famous poem about it. The poem is called The Old Vicarage Grantchester. No prizes for guessing why. He was sent off to fight in Gallipoli but never made it. In, 19, in April 1915, he was bitten on the lip by an insect and died of blood poisoning. Probably not the glorious end Rupert imagined. The corner of a foreign field that is forever England is the corner of a foreign field that is forever England is his grave in an olive grove on the Greek island of Skyros. By the way, when the war was over, a doctor by the name of Copeland moved into Rupert's old rooms in Grantchester Vicarage. One frosty evening, he sat reading by the fire with his bulldog at his feet. He said. Suddenly the, dog, suddenly, the dog woke up and growled at the window. In a silence that followed, I heard slow, regular footsteps coming round the house and heading for the window. I threw open the window, and there was no one there. Dr. Copeland's landlord later explained that footsteps had been heard ever since Rupert Brooke was killed four years ago. His fantasy must have been hurting a bit by 1919. Of course, there were a few explanations. Number one, the dog heard burglars. Or... Rupert didn't like being stuck in some corner of a foreign field and wanted to come home. Or, the owners of Grantchester Vicarage wanted to believe that their famous soldiers still remembered them. But isn't it strange that only the famous Rupert Brooke came back and not some ordinary Joe Block? Or, maybe it isn't Rupert's ghost after all. Maybe it is Joe Block's ghost. In Grantchester Churchyard, there is a memorial for the local men who died in the First World War. There are usually flowers at the foot of the memorial put there by poultry lovers who remember the famous Rupert. Is that fair? What about the other brave men who died? Are they forgotten? And do they return to haunt the vicarage in revenge? Look carefully at the memorial and you will see half a dozen other names on there. And one of the other forgotten names is Joseph Blogg. Phew, I need a breather. Don't you agree, Jared? Indeed I do, Zashin. Listeners, we'll take a short break from our podcast. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. Wait, why are we having a sponsor right at the bottom of our podcast? Oh well. Psst, 
I can see your device's screen. Is your computer being hacked or infected with a virus or anything related to malware? If yes, you need to download Breach this instant! Exactly! What are you still doing here? If you don't have Breach, you're doomed! Breach is a software that can detect any form of malware in your device. Breach acts like an antibody in your blood vessels, preventing the viruses from taking over, but in your device. Breach is efficient and effective because of its advanced technology. Chances are your device might find it slightly too hot to handle, resulting in longer downloading time. But it's all worth it! Download it now! Trust us, you need to get Breach. Like, seriously, your life can be saved by Breach. You can get it via the App Store, Play Store, Huawei App Gallery, and the Microsoft Store. Don't worry, it's free. No in-app purchases or anything like that. So you can sit back and relax, not stressing about anything breaching into your device. <laughs> Hold on. Wait a minute. We're seeing something strange on our screens. Hey, you haven't downloaded Breach yet. What are you doing? Staying on a podcast page? If you can see your screen from here, iris hackers can too. Download it quick. Come on. We won't continue if you continue to be stubborn. Oh, great. You're going to the app store. Downloading. I see. Almost there. What? Great news. You can't see your screen anymore. From now on, Breach will have your back. Unless someone somehow manages to hack the main system of the software. I concur. And I still don't get why we must include our sponsor right at the end. But let's just get on with the show. Psst. You should also visit the website breachsoftware.com to find out more about this software. Have you any last requests? The Major asked the young man in the shabby black suit. I have, good sir. I would like to play my violin one last time, before you shoot me. The Major nodded and opened a hatch in the steel door, and called to the guard outside, bringing her Bushman's violin from the office. He turned back to the prisoner. You are honoured, young Fernando. You will be the first to be executed in the Tower of London for hundreds of years. The young man gave a faint smile. Tis a great honour to die for Germany, he said. It would be better to live. The Major pointed out and pulled a wooden chair to the side of the bed and sat facing the German spy. My wife and child will suffer back in Germany. I regret being caught, but I do not regret spying for my country, he said calmly. The Major shook his head sadly. <sighs> it was Germany that sent you here to die. No, they sent me here to spy. But they prepared you so badly we were bound to catch you. The Major groaned. <sighs> Don't you see that? No. The prisoner frowned. The officer leaned forward and lowered his voice. You will die at dawn, so there is nothing to lose by telling you this, Fernando. But they trained you in the spy school at Rotterdam. The head of the spy school is her Flores. Perhaps. We know it is, the Major sighed. And he sent you here with a passport written in his own handwriting. We recognized it at once. For the first time, a small frown of uncertainty crossed the young German's face. The Major went on. He sent you to a hotel in the stand. He sent you to a hotel in the Strand where he sends all of his secret agents. He gave you a cover story. You were to say you were a salesman of cheese, bananas, safety razors, and potatoes. But you knew know hardly anything about those things. The spy lowered his head a little in the admission of defeat. I sent in reports the best I could, he muttered. You sent in reports that said we switched on London searchlights at 8pm and switched them off again at 10.30 if no Zeppelins appear. The officer said, there is no great secret to die for. You know what messages I sent? Of course! You sent the messages in code to a schoolmaster in Holland. That schoolmaster is a British spy. You're an amateur, Fernando. We will shoot you. But it is your spy masters who sent you to your death. There was a rap on the door and a guard handed a violin to the major who passed it across to Fernando Bushman. 
For the next three hours, the sweet, mournful tones echoed around the ancient walls and stirred the ghosts of long-dead prisoners. Slowly the sky lightened through the barred window and the hobnailed footsteps clattered in the corridor outside. The prisoner played one last melody, but now the notes were wavering and disconnected. Nice tune, the major said. My Pagliacci, the German said. The music tells the story of a broken-hearted clown. Maybe that's all I was, Major. He raised the violin to his lips and kissed it. Goodbye. I shall not want you anymore. He laid his precious instrument on the hard bed, straightening his back and faced the man who waited outside the door. I am ready, he said. Fernando Bushman faced an eight-man firing squad on the morning of 19 October 1915. He refused a blindfold, saying he wanted to die like a gentleman. He was one of 11 bound-drilling amateur German spies to die in a tower during the First World War. A trough was hanged at Wentzworth Prison. There were many ways to die and many wasted lives in the First World War. Fernando Bushman was just another one. Before the First World War, Britain was already overrun with an immense amount of German spies because they guessed this war would come one day. It wasn't until 1908 that Britain had any spy hunters, the Secret Service Bureau. Captain Vernon Kell was the only member of the Secret Service Bureau, and by the start of the war in the previous year, 1914, he had only 9 officers. The Bureau was exceptional though, they arrested 21 agents as soon as the war began. The Bureau had a lot of help from the German spies who were not too clever. In fact, they were awful agents. They got their information from Germans working in Britain. Hairdressers and pub landlords were their favourites because they heard lots of gossip, and German teachers were a bit treacherous too. Here are some of the code words that the Germans used as teachers. Eggs were known as foot soldiers. Condensed milk stood for horse soldiers. Margarine was the equivalent to guns. Dutch cheese represented battleships. Tin lobster was torpedo boats. And many others. Would you trust your teacher if you were around in these times? Now, the moment you've all been waiting for. A quiz. Though it's just a normal quiz, you can win prizes with this. In order to win, you need to be in the first 20 by emailing us your answers. Only the top 10 with the best answers will have a chance of winning the prize. So let's get started. Remember to listen closely. The possible prizes that will be given include a chance to collaborate with us, special Q&A, ideas suggestions to be added into a section of our next episode, and many more. Time for the quiz. Question 1. What was the name of the ship that the German submarines sank? Question 2. Whose government collapsed due to the Gallipoli disaster? Question 3. What was the cure for broken limbs that was suggested by the Food Element 1915? Question 4. How was anti-frostbite grease supplied to the soldiers on the Western Front? Question 5. What was cordite and what was it used for? Question 6. What was chatting in the trenches? Question 7. What superstition invented by the British came true? Question 8. Give one theory for the Phantom Fighters in August of 1914. If you are listening to our commercial break, what is breach? Heads up. If you get this wrong, you lose. Question 10. Why did the Major say that Fernando Bushman was honoured? 
Question 11. Why are London search sites used? Lastly, question 12. If Captain Bernard Kell had 9 officers who arrested 21 people in total, what's the name of the Spy Hunters organization? Alright then, I think that should be all for today's episode. Don't you think, Zashun? Finally, you pronounced it correctly! <sighs> Anyways, yes, this is fine for our second episode of the World War One series. Okay then, I'd like to thank our audiences for listening to this episode of our podcast, The Nomads of Time, where we go back in time and study the dark secrets of past events that happened years ago. Now to send us the answers for the event quiz, do not send it to notatgmail.com. It had been shut down due to some technical issues, so send it to my host, Jared's email instead. His being 17jdualliancekl.his.edu.my As always, thank you for listening and have a good day or afternoon or evening or night, wherever you are. Over and out. <coughs> 1919... Uh, oh wait, yeah! 1916, the year of the trenches, coming up. Will the Brits have an advantage in the year 1916? Can Zeppelins actually spot a cigarette light? Most importantly, will starvation be the end of it all? Stay tuned to find out, together with the Nomads of Time.